We are glad that you're with us this night. We're glad you're with us tonight to worship the Lord and to study from his word. Before I began with that, let me say this. Now, if I devoted each sermon to correcting the mistakes of the one before, it would probably take the whole the whole sermon but there was one verse I was desperately wanting to use this morning that I did not use and that is in John 7 verse 17 as Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles and he is disputing uh, with some of the Jewish leaders he says in John 7 verse 17 if anyone is willing to do his will he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak it myself. If you want to know his will, you can know his will. It is simple enough that any who seek it can find it. It is complex enough that in our whole life we never get to the depths and to the heights of the wonder of his message. John 7, 17. Tonight, we talk about our concept, our concept of the church. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the church is usually used in the sense of a universal church of all God's people or a local congregation, sometimes an assembly of that local congregation. Roy pointed out afterwards, and it is correct, that sometimes the word church is used, or at least one time, of all God's people in a certain region. Acts 9 verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. This is not just one local congregation that is under discussion, but this is not all of God's people that are under discussion. It is God's people in a particular area, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Now tonight as we deal with this subject, we're dealing still tonight with our concept of the universal church, largely. And I want to begin with three illustrations that I have heard at some point. The first more than the second. And third. And when I ask, are they valid illustrations? As we're trying to get a concept of what the Bible says about the church. An idea that went around on some film strips that were put out by brethren and that in some ways do much good, but was the idea of the church and the Ark of Aaron, Ark of <clears throat> Noah. <laughs> In Noah's time, God was told to build an ark. Noah and his family were told to enter the ark. 
And as the rain came down for over a year and the floodwaters rose on the earth, Noah and his family were saved inside the ark. And sometimes the point was made that the ark is equivalent to the church. Just as there was safety in Noah's ark, there is safety in the church. A second illustration, and the second and third are going to closely tie with this. In Exodus 21, for those of you I had in class this morning, I told you I was going to mention this. Exodus 21. Exodus 12, verse 21 through 28. The Passover. The Lord passes over the sons of Israel. The Israelites are told that all the firstborn are under the penalty of death. All the firstborn under the penalty of death. And they are to go inside their house and they are to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house. And if they put the blood on the doorpost of the house, when the Lord passes over, he will not destroy those who have the blood over the doorpost. He will not destroy them. And they were told to remain inside the house. And sometimes the comparison was made that that is a picture of the church. That we are not to, we are to uh, enter the church and not go out of it. And uh, that this is the picture of those passages. A third illustration, and I've probably heard it with others. But in the cities of refuge, in Numbers chapter 35, if you had taken someone's life, and, and Deuteronomy 15 uses an illustration of that. You are out cutting wood with someone, this is your friend, you are cutting wood with him, and the axe handle flies off and hits your friend, and he is killed. You are not guilty of murder, but what you had to do is you had to flee to the city of refuge. You had to present your case to the elders of the city of refuge. When you presented your case to the elders of the city of refuge, if they judged that you were presenting the truth, then they accepted you in this city and you stayed in the city until the death of the high priest. And again, the comparison was made between the city of refuge and the church. Now, I don't deny that these are good pictures to illustrate things. Maybe not perfect pictures, and we'll point out some of the difficulties in just a second. But they're good pictures. But where would the church be in that picture? Now remember, we were defining the church, and I think biblically, and again, if you weren't here a few weeks ago when I did this, and you want to ask about it, feel free to. The church is the people of God. It is the people of God. And so the church is not going to be equivalent to the inanimate ark. If you want to make a parallel, it is going to be closer between Christ 
and the ark. Now that's not a perfect parallel. It's not a perfect parallel because again, the ark is an inanimate object. But if you want to look for the church in that picture, the church in that picture is Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. It is the people of God. So in the picture, it would be better to compare the ark to, to Jesus and to compare us to the people who find safety within the ark. In the second illustration, I think the parallel is better with Christ. And let me illustrate. The Passover is being talked about in Exodus 12. The blood of the Passover lamb is put over the doorpost of the house. And the Israelites are remain inside of the house. Now the parallel between Christ and the Passover lamb is better than the parallel between Christ and the ark. Because Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's called that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7. Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. It is not simply talking about how Jesus fulfills the feast. He does, but it's talking about how Jesus fulfills that sacrifice. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So, the church of the people, like the Israelites, who found protection under the blood of the Lamb, and who avoided a death sentence because of the blood of the Lamb, in the third illustration, again, the city of refuge is not a good parallel to the church. The church in that account would be the people who have done something that is worthy of death or could be worthy of death, at least are under the suspicion of guilt in this passage, but who seek refuge in the city. We are the people who seek refuge in Christ. That is what I'm attempting to convey. And I hope that that is clear I look back, I have looked back over time at sermons that I've heard in Franklin, a few that I've preached, where I would define the church as the people of God. But then at some point, depart from it. And let me illustrate. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is making a farewell speech to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He meets them at Miletus. He doesn't have time to go to Ephesus. He's hurrying to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost. And the elders come out to meet him in the seaport city of Miletus. But Paul says in Acts 20, verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves 
and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his blood. To shepherd the church of church which he has purchased with his blood. By the way, there is a reference in this text to the deity of Christ, the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. And while sometimes defining the church as the people of God, then that passage would be read. That's an example of a kind of passage that would be read and would say, we must be in the thing which was born. What does it mean that Christ purchased the church with his blood? As we try to get a concept of the universal church, what does that mean? Well, the same thing is stated in Revelation chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. Where the Bible says, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Jesus as praised as worthy. Worthy is the Lamb is the song that sang in Revelation chapter 5. But here worthy are you because you were slain and you purchased men for God. Men from every nation, men from every tribe, men of every language were purchased for God. When Christ purchased the church, he purchased, he redeemed people, men and women, from sin. Now, the songs tonight that we were singing emphasize Christ as our Redeemer, or some of them emphasize Christ as our Redeemer. We want to think about this concept. What did Christ buy when he bought the church? And see how it stresses our theme of Christ as the Savior and of his people, the church, as those who are saved. When we think about Christ as our Redeemer, we look briefly at the Old Testament background of this concept. Now, in Leviticus 25, what happened if you were a kinsman redeemer? If you had a family member of yours who became poor and was in debt and had to sell his piece of land, or he was poor and in debt and had to sell himself to slavery, you, as the kinsman redeemer, a relative who had more than he did, if you had the means to do so, you could purchase his redemption. You could pay off his debt. You could release him from his debt, from his slavery at the payment of a price. That is the background of the particular idea. You see it in Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 28, and verses 43 through 55. A kinsman redeemer 
This is a role gloriously fulfilled by Jesus. A kinsman redeemer could release you from a penalty of death. Our sins are viewed as death. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 27, the Bible talks about a man brought before the king who owed the unpayable amount of 10,000 talents. Now, Lord willing, when we get to Matthew 18, we're going to stress just exactly what an enormous debt that was. But just at this moment, it is safe to say that it's a debt that no normal person could come close to paying. And here this person is brought before the king. He owes this incredible debt. And so our point from going to Leviticus 25 and see that the person was in debt, the kinsman redeemer could purchase his redemption, purchase his freedom from debt. We see how Jesus could fulfill that picture. Not only are we debtors, but we are slaves. Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, do you not know when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. And Christ is our Redeemer. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, the Bible tells us, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, what does this image stress? When we talk about Christ bought the church with his own blood. Sit in his dress. Christ bought the church to emphasize our extreme and desperate need. church that I was a part of got a letter from a man they asked me if I would to pursue this letter and to call him and to talk with him 
through no fault of his own, through some health problems, he had, he had incurred quite a significant debt. And I called him and told him who I was and why I was calling and, and we tried to talk about some things that could be done for me for help. But I remember this. He says, I'm so thankful that I answered the phone. This was before everybody had caller ID. He said, I'm so thankful I answered the phone. Because almost every call I get is from someone that I owe money to because of my medical problems. Pressing me to pay. And he said, it is debilitating after a while. If you were in insurmountable debt and there was no hope of ever being relieved from that, then you have someone who comes along and pays that Would you be free? Would you be thankful for that? That was one of the images we used. And as bad as that is, what about the image of slavery? As people were put on slave ships and never saw the lie, but chained underneath to come to a new country, to be shouted at, in a language they didn't understand and beaten for not obeying the orders. Friend, any time that you see that is a picture of a worse slavery that many voluntarily enlisted. A slavery to sin. And the picture of slavery in this country is not all past. Just reading the story the other day of a woman who had come from a poor country to this country and was a sex slave for years, captured against her will. Horrible, unthinkable. But that is our situation. That's your life. That's my life. And to emphasize that Christ bought the church emphasizes our extreme and desperate need. That we were in unpayable debt. We were slaves to sin. 
And it emphasizes the magnitude of his salvation. As we stated just a moment ago, if one were to pay our enormous debt, would we not be forever thankful? You know, Jesus used the illustration in Luke 7 that there were two men who owed the money changer money, two, two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when, when they both were unable to repay, he forgave them. Which of them will love him most? And he said the one he forgave the most. Friend, if our debts were counted, they would be not 50 denarii or 500 denarii, but they would be closer to the 10,000 talents of Matthew 18. And to think that Jesus purchased our freedom from slavery, our freedom from dead. May we ever praise his name because of that. And we think that God, the church of God, which he purchased by his blood, it also emphasizes our responsibility to God. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. It says, you were bought with a price. This is our idea of redemption. Of Christ buying the church with his blood, purchasing the church with his blood. For you have you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now in context... This is warning us against sexual sin, sexual immorality, fornication, flee fornication. Every other sin that a man commits is without the body. But he who commits fornication sins against his own body. Why should we live this way? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we should live this way. One is because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, as verse 19 says. But another, because we are bought with a price because we were purchased by his blood. We are not our own. We are his. And he is a benevolent, loving king. After Paul spends 11 chapters in Romans talking of the wonder of God's love and God's salvation, that has been made available to all Jews and Gentiles in all the world. He says, oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God in Romans 11. And then he comes in Romans 12 and he says, therefore, therefore, in light of all he said, because of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice to him. In light of all God has done for us. Give yourself to him completely. Some of you all remember these words better than I do. Isaac Watts. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were oppressed far too small. It emphasizes how God's love demands our heart, our soul, our all. 
Christ bought the church with his blood. It emphasizes Christ is saved. Ourselves in desperate need. It emphasizes how glorious his salvation. And it motivates us in light of all he has done to save us, to give ourselves to him. In all this image of Christ as our Redeemer stresses the incredible transforming power of God to change us from debtors, from slaves, to people who give Him our everything, our heart, our soul, our all. In Ephesians 3 verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. God is great. God is greater than anything we can imagine. God is abundantly above all we think of Him. God is exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think of Him. We can never get close to the glory of God as we said today. The gap between God and ourselves is so great. It cannot be spanned by scientific investigation, philosophical speculation, or poetic imagination. But this God has revealed Himself to us. He has given His Son to die for us. To redeem us. His blood. All of this leads us to say, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. When Christ bought the church, he purchased men and women, freeing them from death. Freeing them from slavery to sin. Making them new into his people. If you have never become a Christian, I want you to see how much God loves you. And what links God would go to to save you. I hope you see that. And if you want to repent of your sins, to turn from your sins and be baptized in Christ, we'd be glad to help you. If you say, I've done that and I've wandered away, I need to acknowledge my sin and beg for prayers of others, we would help you there as well. But we invite you to come as we stand and sing.